You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin by calling in the helping spirits to be with us here today. So I call out first to my own ancestors and to yours, to those people who lived well, who met the challenges of their time and died well, with an awareness of those who were coming. I call out to these ancestors who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestor lines to us in this great legacy. And I ask them to stand with us, to communicate with us, to connect with us, to share with us that rich, rich wealth of human learning um, that they embody. And to, and to share that with us in a way that we can use it in our time and do a better job being the living, meeting the challenges in our time, bringing forward those ways which are eternal and true and innovating in those things that must happen for us now in our time with our unique challenges, our unique differences, and our great, great resource of diversity. So I call out to our ancestors to be with us here today and to help us, to stand around us, to communicate with us, and help us to be strong and true in what must happen for each one of us in this day. And with the ancestors gathering around us, let us turn to ourselves and draw our awareness from wherever it is into our heads, from our heads into our hearts, from our hearts down into our bellies. And from our bellies, let's begin to reach out to touch the earth and take a moment uh, in stillness, in sweetness, and to give gratitude to the earth for life. Thanks for this day, no matter what it holds in store for you, no matter the challenges of the day before or those that lie ahead, we give gratitude for life itself, for this opportunity in this day to live, to live well, to grow, to change, to perhaps do things differently. So we call out to the earth to give great, great gratitude for the beauty, for the possibilities, for hope. And for all the many teachers spread around the globe, in the oceans, on the land, in all of the different ecosystems, may we learn from our older brothers and sisters. So we give thanks to the earth, this deep, deep and ancient ancestor, and we send our energy down into the center of the earth to anchor ourselves firmly there, understanding that this is our responsibility to choose to be here now and to be grounded, to be present. And so we connect our energy all the way down in the center of the earth, leaving our gratitude as we go in all the layers of the earth. And we take a moment in the earth to feel this deep, deep resource, this energy that restores and renews and replenishes us. This energy that speaks to us of the power of solitude, of peace, of silence, of stillness. And we draw this energy up, drawing it up into our bodies into our day, into these proceedings. And with this energy, let us understand ever more fully in each moment how to be grounded and present in our lives in a good way energetically. 
And we draw on the energy of the earth to help us to understand how to create a sense of place with regard for other living things, a sense of hearth and home, and to create that sense of home in a way that opens the door to the other, particularly those who are different than we are, that we might learn from those who actually hold within their very differences the medicine that we need. And may we call on this energy of the earth to help us to understand connection and interconnection and ultimately to reach outside of ourselves enough to feel for just a moment, perhaps, the oneness of all things. And from that moment, let us come into right relationship with ourself, right relationship with others, right relationship with the environment, and right relationship with the invisible world. And as we bring ourselves into right relationship... Let us focus our awareness up from our bellies to our heart and our heart to our mind. We draw the energy of the earth all the way up through the sky and whatever weather it holds for you today. And for those of you that saw it, the echoing memory of this beautiful uh, full moon eclipse rising up through the sky itself, out through the atmosphere, out into the cosmos and all the way up, all the way to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know that energy, connect with that energy Know yourself in it and it in you. It is not other than you. We are one with all things. And we draw this energy down to bring its unique medicine into our circle here today, bringing to us the essence energy of blessing, of blessing and protection, of generosity and devotion, of commitment. This energy that we might draw into our life to find the mentors and the champions who are there for us, and our efforts to live our life, but also to be the mentors and the champions that we can be for others. And we call this energy into the top of our head, into our heart, into our belly, and send it down to the center of the earth. And in this way, we become the vessel in which earth and sky connect. These two great legendary lovers connecting within us as they connect within trees, within the plant life, the animal life, within all that is alive here. Uh, that moves and changes here on the face of the earth. We take our place with them as this place that the earth and sky come together, these two great legendary lovers and this great, great passion for life. And we allow this love to open and awaken the spirit of our hearts. And we call out to the heart to do what it does uniquely, uh, different from all the other chakras. We call out to the heart to be the crucible of transformation, to draw up the fiery passions of the belly and draw down the crystal clarity of the mind and to bring these energies together in that great dance. And through that dance itself comes our awareness of this third and sacred thing, which is why you are here. And may we each have a sense in our heart today of why we are here and awaken that heart memory and find in our heart the courage to do something large or small to bring those gifts out into the world. And we give great gratitude for the spirit energies gathering round, for our ancestral energies, and for all of our helping spirits. And I also give thanks to you all, to William and Malama, Sherwood, Katrina, Sylvia, Mary, Sarah, David, Irene, Kayleen, Shay, Susan, Teresa, and these who've donated to the show monthly. I deeply appreciate your figuring out technically how to do that through your own PayPal accounts. It's greatly appreciated. I give thanks to all of you who donate to the show um, in whatever way that might be with your questions and your show ideas and all the ways that you share the shows themselves out um, with others in your journey circles, um, through your social networks, 
Um, but most importantly, uh, what I deeply appreciate is those of you who are using uh, these words in, to the best of your ability, struggling with them, wrestling with them, seeing if we can break them, seeing how we can understand how to live uh, well, to live in a good way, to live in a way that does honor all of life and to be uh, different from some of our ancestors and to reach back even further to those ancestors that had some understanding of how to be here in life as part of this great oneness. So I thank you all for helping me. And if this show moves you in any way, even if it moves you to frustration and irritation, which uh, my shows have been lately, um, you've been moved in the heart. And I ask you to let that motivation move you into action of some kind to support the show, to support the deepening of the conversation on the show, whatever it is, um, I encourage you to learn to allow your life to be motivated by what moves your heart. So thank you all. For those of you who would like to donate to Why Shaman Is Now and haven't figured out how to do that yet, you can go to the show website. For those of you that listen on iTunes, you might not know the show has its own website, whyshamanismnow.com. And on that website is a support button. You can connect support and donate any amount you want, large or small. And if you'd rather not do it via electronic means, you are welcome to email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And um, I'd be happy to send you a regular address. So thank you, everyone, for helping the show to be alive and well. We are live today, so your questions on today's topic are welcome. You can call in at 512-772-1938 or Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or just email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. So today we're continuing um, the conversation about cultivating emotional well-being. And there was a little bit of false advertising about last week's show because I was trying to create context for this conversation about emotions. Because part of the challenge, well, part of the challenge of communication, with Americans at least, and part of the challenge of communication, therefore, through podcasts, one is there's no actual real-time conversation. Um, But also there is this assumption that... um, To say, I like yellow, somehow implies I'm judging blue, green, and purple. And that there's this assumption that a statement is a judgment. And if we are going to understand emotions, we need to move out of that knee-jerk assumption. Okay, so what we're exploring here with last week's show and this week's show is... um, the basics of what I've learned from my helping spirits about cultivating emotional well-being. And so, as I said last week, in a nutshell, they taught me two things, which the first is that if I continue to live based on the beliefs and the emotional template, basically, that I had been taught by my culture, I would continue to grow sick and sicker, that, that it wasn't an option to continue. And, um, I didn't have terribly toxic teachings. I mean, that's another thing that's important to understand. But the helping spirits were saying, you know, this is still going to make you sick and sicker because you still come from a culture that is addictive and codependent and enabling and a whole bunch of other things. Um, Okay. Then the second thing they taught me was that emotional well-being is possible for everyone. It's not that hard. That it simply requires the discipline to break these old patterns. And since we can already see that they aren't working and they're creating suffering, you know, wanting to break them is not such a big deal, but it does take re- 
discipline to do that and the courage to risk trusting new patterns, new ways of being. And, and also, they didn't tell me this, but what I learned along the way is you also have to be willing to um, make mistakes and to not do certain things well. Um, there's some of us come from families where certain emotions are not allowed. And so when we try to learn to express those emotions out in the world to get a healthy emotional template back, you know, we're not very good at it. So you got to be learn to say, I'm sorry, and not worry about that. So that was the real human piece that I learned that the helping spirits didn't really, um, explain so clearly in any way. So that's the basics. So I was at my ancestral altar this morning, frankly, asking for help. And I was just thinking how I couldn't possibly rein in this topic around emotional well-being and do something useful in just an hour. And that maybe, you know, this needed to be all these different hours and thinking, oh, that's not the answer either. Because actually, all of this stuff is so easily taught person to person. And this is one of the challenges with emotions is to try to find words about talking them we're, about them as we're already losing them that they are a felt experience and emotions are communicated uh, not so well via words. I mean, sometimes through poetry, certain poets, but they get communicated through art and dance and through interaction together, through the touch of, you know, a hand to someone's shoulder, to body language. I mean, so, so even talking about emotions just seems futile and ridiculous and... So I'm sitting at my ancestral altar having these, this conversation and I felt them really reaching out much, much more so than a normal day at my ancestral altar. That reaching out and really saying, please, please don't go here. You know, don't do this. Do what you set out to do. Don't lose heart in it. And, and, and what I saw in this energy, actually what I felt in this energy was the realization that emotions, not understanding emotions and not valuing cultivating emotional well-being is a place of such great pain for humanity. And, and, these, and these ancestors, these ancestors that are stuck between the land of the living and the land of the dead are stuck for emotional reasons. They are stuck, and so this is what the ancestors were showing me, is, is, is how this is such a great pain that humanity shares, and that it is, it is by running over our emotions, because we have no emotional intelligence, or little emotional intelligence, that allows us to make the choices that create things like slavery. I mean, we talk about slavery in America as if it's history when there's a white slave market going on right now all over the world with women and children. And, you know, I mean, these, the, this, this, these choices that can only be made because we choose to stop feeling for one reason or another and that we, we have slipped away from creating cultures that are based on valuing emotional well-being. Because when we are not well emotionally, we make horrible decisions that allow us to be horrible to other people. The slavery, sexism, racism, all of these ways that we justify our right to be harmful to other human beings and other living things, the planet as well, that this is because 
of our emotional ignorance. And at least this is what the ancestors were trying to communicate with me, that this is such an important topic and that I can't lose heart and that you, you need to go for it. And, and, and so, as they say, shut up and do it, Christina. So we must understand this. And, and this means that we must learn to discern. So we have to get off this politically correct pillow from which we judge others as being wrong for being judgmental. This, this, this perception that to begin to discern what is what, what is working, what is not working, and start to say, this doesn't actually work for this. This does. This works beautifully for this, but it doesn't help you cultivate emotional well-being. This is not judgmental. It's trying to discern what works for what, what are things, and that discernment is absolutely essential to emotional well-being and energetic well-being. And this whole judgmental conversation about not being judgmental keeps us out of the conversation we need to be having, which is how do we get from this 1950s black and white Cold War judging everything, which leaked right into the new age. We're judgmental now about people being judgmental, right? How do we get into the conversation of how we as a people move from this habit of judgment into actual discernment. Learn to discern. That discernment is the first phase of the action of judgment. It just doesn't move into the second phase of judgment, which is where value is assigned to things. And this is partly what I was trying to say about context You can't actually listen to a podcast about shamanism from a judgmental context because that judgmental way of thinking about things is not an aspect of shamanism. It's about the complementary dualism of things, understanding everything needs to be present and discerning our right place in that and our right action in that. Discerning, diagnosing clearly what is going on, diagnosing clearly what is the remedy. This is all about discernment. It's not about judgment. And we can't even begin to have a conversation about emotional well-being if we can't understand this in our mind that we must learn to discern. Okay, so back to emotions. Just across the board, all emotions are good. There's nothing I am saying or have said on any radio show that a particular emotion is bad. That's your judgment about what I'm saying. (laughs) Okay, so what I'm saying is we want all of our emotions. We want access to all of our emotions. All emotions are good. So there, you've got it. All emotions are good. Okay, they don't all feel good. But all emotions are necessary. Access to all of our emotions is necessary to have our full emotional template available to us. So we want to get to a place of deep feeling, the ability to deeply feel all emotions, you know, in response to what is going on in our life, in the world. And that statement, that, that deep feeling is very different from being super sensitive, There's a big difference between feelings, emotional feelings, and sensitivity. 
and this is one of the things we're trying to talk about last week, is that sensitivity to things is not necessarily healthy emotions and that a true empath, someone who has clear empathy, is distinctly aware of discerning the difference between a sensitivity to something in the environment and how that is different from their own senses, what they're sensing themselves about their experience, and then their own emotions. And that these things are all different. And if we can't discern these and tolerate a conversation where we're saying, well, no, that really isn't that, instead of going, oh, you're just being judgmental, then we can't have this conversation because we must learn to discern. And we have to go there together. So deep feeling is very different from being super sensitive. And being super sensitive is very different from being a highly sensitive person. We didn't quite get to the highly sensitive person, but we will today. But a certain percentage of the population is highly sensitive. Interestingly, it's a similar percentage to those who are a little bit um, psychopathic about not cultivating empathy. And that doesn't mean they all become criminals, right? And so what's interesting is our, is our culture naturally has both. Those who are, let's say, uh, significantly not sensitive and those that are highly sensitive. And both of those things are different from being super sensitive, right? Which is a state of being overly sensitive to things, reacting to everything out of proportion for what the things actually are. That's kind of super sensitive. Okay, so last week I was trying to sort this out. And and in that, to sort out the misinformation and the confusion about emotion, while at the same time being fair about the fact that we come by this misunderstanding and this misinformation um, honestly. And like I said, this, this is what the ancestors were showing me this morning. We come by this confusion honestly. And so this isn't about those people over there are bad because they don't get it and these people over here are good. Is We've come to this place of deep emotional misunderstanding and not knowing how to cultivate emotional well-being together honestly. We come by it honestly. The problem that I see that I was talking about last week is that with the internet and the spread of information, and the ability to position yourself as an authority about something is the, the, the rate of spread of misinformation about emotions is um, exponential right now. And so this is what I was commenting about last week is we need to dial back from this, learn to discern and be able to read these things on the Internet and connect with them and actually discern whether or not there's any truth in what's being said. And around the issue of emotions, we are particularly um, unclear about what is true and what is not. So anyway, this is what we're trying to do. So I reviewed, so last week I reviewed um, in a nutshell, just sort of what we've learned about emotions from the helping spirits. And I'm not going to review that. You just listen to last week's show for that. But the gist of it is um, that it's the natural state for a child 
to be energetically and emotionally connected to the appearance, to the environment, to the invisible world, um, energetically connected to what's going on around them, um, and intuiting what others need in an effort to stay safe. Um, because childhood, because it's a dependent state by nature, again, so I'm not saying that's good or bad, it just is, right? Because it's a dependent state, it can be scary. Because you're dependent on others for what you need to survive. And that's a scary position to be in. I mean, let's just be honest. It is. You know, it's not good or bad. It is. So the important thing, though, is that that way a kid creates this very extended out energy body and their own emotions, their intuition, their energy, all these things are not uh, well discerned from each other yet. They're, they're still all sh- taking shape and forming and it's all kind of a big energy mess. To take that energetic child body, which is normal for a child, and try to live your entire adult life without remodeling it in any way is folly. And this is the problem that we're having because the very state that puts you in, which is most people, the very state that puts you in is similar to someone who would be an unconscious, potentially, someone who is potentially an unconscious empath. They don't know they're empathic. But the truth of the matter is, regardless of our gifts in life, whatever they are, the other thing shamanism teaches us is take your medicine. You know, do what you need to do to change yourself to become the person who can bring your gifts to the world. And for all of us, no matter what our gifts are, particularly if you truly are clairempathic, you must clean up your energy body and cultivate emotional well-being or you cannot discern clearly because our discernment is deeply affected by our emotional and mental state and so if we're not in charge of that if we're not um if we're being run by those aspects of ourselves instead of having it be a well-adjusted integrated whole we're in trouble it's bottom line so We called on an article by um, Anton St. Martin, who is an experienced clairempathic person, who articulates this issue and the need to discern uh, these distinctions very well in an article called Empathy is Not a Psychic Ability. And what he says there is there's a fashionable notion nowadays for individuals to be branded as psychics or empaths if they are emotionally sensitive or display a high level of compassion towards others. And nothing could be further from the truth. And this is really important. I mean, not just to blow your little empathic bubble. Oh, I'm an empath. No, actually, you need to cultivate emotional well-being. Not just that, but this piece of what he says. If anything, this myth is serving to confuse and mislead people and may even cause further emotional damage by imposing unreasonable expectations on some highly sensitive or even emotionally vulnerable people. And this is the reason this, this spread of information, misinformation, spread of misinformation is so problematic is because we're talking about a place, whether we're talking about highly sensitive people or emotionally vulnerable people, we're all emotionally vulnerable at some level. And this is a place that we need to learn to get well, not just keep damaging ourselves. Okay. 
So we explored these distinctions from his article um, to create some groundwork for learning to discern. So we talked about the distinction between empathy and sympathy and how they are both normal human um, expressions. Um, We talked about empathy, a normal human expression, except for those people that are in that percentage of people that are um, a little bit um, psychopathic and don't cultivate this. And don't cultivate empathy. I mean, it's kind of a problem, right? Okay. But an aspect of the human population we need to learn to deal with. Okay. So then what's the distinction then between empathy and clear empathy, meaning an actual heightened ability? For example, we all have visions. Every single one of us have visions because we dream at night. We all dream at night, we have daydreams, we have visions that we all have a certain visionary capacity. Some people are clairvoyant. We all hear things once in a while that nobody's saying. There isn't a person out there listening to this radio show who doesn't hear things. And we don't know where those insights come from. Is it my higher self? Is it my heart? Is it my helping spirit? Is it an ancestor? Is it my dead brother? Whatever. We don't necessarily know, but we hear things. We all hear things. And then some people are clairaudient. They actually have a much, much higher than normal sensitivity and awareness and capacity to receive auditory messages. And then some people are clairempathic. Some people are clairsentient. So the point is we all have this to some degree. And if we can cultivate a healthy emotional body, we're much better able to access our intuitive information accurately. And so they all are still related together. But whereas in a child, it's kind of a big energy mishmash. In an adult, we need to start discerning. This is the voice of my intuition. This is the way I get information back from my energy body, my grounding, my boundaries, my chakra structure, my actual structure of my energy body that I am taking responsibility to cultivate because I'm an adult, right? So this is – so we need to begin as an adult to discern the – in in a sense – the different voices, the different ways of communicating of these different aspects of ourself. This is my emotional intelligence. This is my body's intelligence. This is my energy body. This is my intuition. This is my mind. You know, these, these are all different voices in our head. We need to understand who's talking to us or how to communicate with these different intelligences. That's what it means to be a well-adjusted adult from a shamanic perspective. So I don't think we quite got to a place um, where St. Martin's talks about unconscious empaths. And so this is where we start getting into this honest place of confusion and where we're getting a lot of misinformation about what is necessary to cultivate emotional well-being. So he explains in his article that in the past, before I understood my empathic nature, um, meaning clairempathic nature, Um, I often didn't know where some of these feelings and sensations were coming from or what they meant. Unconscious empaths often walk around like unsuspecting energy sponges, and they can obviously suffer much discomfort and distress as a result. So that is true for unconscious empaths. And so, in other words, again, discernment. 
in terms of bringing your gift to the world, if you're an unconscious empath, you're not an empath yet. You got to clean up your act. Until you can bring your empathic gift to the world in a way that has an accuracy and a truth resonance to it, you're not an empath yet. You're just a mess like the rest of us. Okay, so so this is the thing because this very state that he's talking about, which is a, the typical experience for an unconscious empath, is also exactly the way to describe what it feels like for a regular everyday adult who is not emotionally well adjusted, who has brought their child energy body into their adult life and is trying to live a happy, healthy adult life through their child energy body. Um, they have poor grounding, poor boundaries. So this feeling of being an energy sponge um, and experiencing su- uh, suffering and distress and discomfort that is maybe yours, maybe somebody else's, this is also the truth of your experience if you have an unhealthy energetic and emotional body, which you will if you bring a normal kid body into your adult life. So – Martin's continues. St. Martin's continues. Unconscious empaths who are unaware of their clairempathic ability typically absorb all kinds of unwanted emotional and somatic energy wherever they go without understanding, for example, why they suddenly feel nausea or vertigo or why they're suddenly overwhelmed with extreme sadness and anxiety when there is nothing in their environment to be sad or anxious about or why their positive state of mind is suddenly changed uh, to a really foul mood the moment they walk past a frowning stranger on the street. And that's true about unconscious empaths. It's also true about people who are living in a state of soul loss. That you can easily be triggered by an outside event into the hole that remains in your energy body because of your soul loss. So again, these sort of symptoms, potential symptoms of an unconscious empath can also speak to a lack of shamanic health, basically. So, so again, these, these aren't a given. And this is why we need to discern. So, in contrast, St. Martin's continues, the conscious empath understands that if I share my client's feelings or feel sorry for them, I am not using my clairempathic ability because I'm applying my own feelings of empathy and sympathy based on my personal values and life experiences. Now, there's nothing wrong with empathizing with a client during a reading as long as it is understood that empathizing is not psychic reading or mediumship. Empathizing is perspective taking in the role of the counselor or advisor. It is not energy reading in the role of psychic or empath. And so again, he's just talking about going from being an unconscious empath to a conscious empath and how in that process he's learned to discern the distinction in these things. And another really important distinction to make here is the difference between being a highly sensitive person. This is HSP. This is, this is a type of person that can be measured scientifically. So this is a certain percentage. I think it's uh, – one person no it's more than one percent anyway a certain percentage of the people in our population and that is different from being an empath and it's different from being an unconscious empath and it's different from being a person that i've been trying to talk about which is just a person living as an adult with a childhood energy body so a highly sensitive person has the innate trait known as high psychological sensitivity 
According to experts, the highly sensitive individual processes sensory data much more intensely and thoroughly due to biological differences in their nervous system. The term highly sensitive person was coined by Dr. Elaine N. Aaron, A-R-O-N. And if you, back in 1996, which is a while ago, and if this is something you sense that you are, take her test, Google her, go take her test, find out. And so that you're not getting misinformation about, ooh, you're so sensitive, you must be an empath, you must be this, you must be that. Maybe you're just a highly sensitive person, which means it's your normal and you need to learn to cultivate your energy body and your emotional body so that you can support that normalcy for you. Um, So it's believed that one in every five people are highly sensitive, which means that it's not a disorder. The trait is believed to be a survival strategy for being observant before acting. Imagine that. (laughs) So the brain of the highly sensitive person um, has been found to actually work slightly differently, making them more aware than others of subtleties in their environment and noticing more things when they interact with other people. Um, highly sensitive people can be easily overwhelmed and overstimulated when situations become too intense or confusing, basically because they can't process fast enough because they process so deeply. So the HSP trait uh, is not a new discovery, but it is still misunderstood. And HSPs are often told that they must man up or not be so sensitive. You know, and so this is the problem in terms of gaining any kind of emotional intelligence, whether you're highly sensitive or not. Boys are told to man up. Stop crying. Don't be a sissy. Still, today, it's unbelievable. And, you know, girls are told to not be so sensitive. You know, so we're we're given misinformation from the very beginning about our emotional intelligence. So the most important thing about if you are a highly sensitive person, not getting caught up in the sort of misinformation um, cycling around the Internet is because – you could easily be misdirected and, well, one, and taken advantage of. But as uh, St. Martin says, you know, just imagine having an excited psychic stage mom breathing down your childhood neck, pressuring you to become more esoterically or otherworldly because she read on some website that you're a highly gifted little psychic empath in the making. When in reality, you're just a highly sensitive person, you're shy, um, and you don't like noisy people in chaotic environments, and you just like to check things out carefully before you take action. So again, the point is just discerning accurately, knowing these things are not all the same, but they are different and we need to come to understand that. So when we sort out these things, the distinctions between all these different qualities, then we can begin to have a conversation about our emotions and cultivating emotional well-being. So the thing about emotions then, if you want to cultivate emotional well-being, number one, you are going to actually have to feel. And this is the first thing that I run up against with people, students, and clients in terms of cultivating emotional well-being is there are certain things they don't want to feel and they believe it's their right to not feel that thing ever again. And so it's a fear-based response, an assumption that because this is what happened in the past, this is what's going to happen again. And it's a false. It isn't actually true that that's what's going to happen, but it's a fear-based response. And the bottom line is if you want to cultivate emotional well-being, you have to ultimately be open to all your emotions. You can't say, well, I will do this and I won't do that. I only want the good ones. That's what everybody says. I only want to feel good. 
right? Now, the other thing that the helping spirits taught me is that the body and the spirit are real in a sense. Now, this is the helping spirits using English. But what they mean by that is there is a relationship between the body and the spirit that is connected to the deeper energies underneath this physical reality we're experiencing. So my body, so in other words, I can't decide to wake up tomorrow as a cedar tree, that this incarnation is human. Now, this doesn't mean I can't learn to shapeshift, but the point is there's a reality in the manifestation of this choice of human. There's also an eternal, eternal reality in the soul. And so these things are connected into the bigger systems that we don't, we're not in charge of. We can learn how they work and learn how to align with those principles, but we don't break those rules. And if we do, it's bad. Okay. The emotions and the mind are not real in that same sense. In other words, the body and the spirit is the primary relationship. That the emotions and the mind are just here for entertainment. That they are these changeable, shape-shifty, always mutating entities that create the way that the body and the spirit have these experiences in life to learn and grow from and to bring their gifts to the world and all of this that we do here in this life. They, they allow us to engage in the why we are here. But the important thing to remember is they are completely changeable. Every belief you hold can be changed. When you change your beliefs, you change your emotional response to things. You can change your emotional response to things by doing a deep healing and that deep healing can, like soul retrieval, that deep healing can end up changing your beliefs. So these two things are connected and they're changeable. There is nothing that is fixed. There is nothing that you cannot, given the right process, right meaning effective, transform around your emotional state or your mental state. That these, thing, these, these two aspects of ourself are meant to be shape-shifty and changeable. And our, this primary relationship between the body and the spirit, once we understand that, can begin to be the motivating force for changing this emotional and mental state into a state of health and well-being. Okay. So here's the challenge then. How do I grow out of my childhood energy body and all of its patterns for survival when it's a survival-based template for my mind and my emotions? And this is where things start getting deeply misunderstood in podcasts versus personal teachings. Um, So let me be very clear. Cultivation is a function. So the actions you are doing to cultivate a healthy energy body have to actually function. They have to actually accomplish that. This isn't about being judgmental. It isn't about being willing. Um, It is about being willing to be honest about what accomplishes the function of emotional clearing at the source of the emotional dysfunction. It's not about saying the things that don't accomplish that function are wrong or bad. But it's saying if this function doesn't happen, then that process doesn't work for this. 
And so, yes, I do actually mean sometimes on these shows to say you must accomplish this function for this desired outcome. And not everything does that. That's the discernment piece here. And again, it's not judging things as good or bad. It's saying we, 50 years into this human potential movement or more, need to start looking with intelligence and some criticism, you know, is in terms of being critical, in terms of audit, evaluate, understand, how do I do this in a better way? We need to go there. And we have to be willing to have those conversations if we want emotional health and well-being. So what functions is not necessarily what is fashionable or profitable. In fact, when it comes to cultivating emotional well-being, people will do almost anything and actually pay almost anything to avoid the function of emotional clearing. And they will do uh, what will allow them the promise of emotional clearing and the satisfaction of doing something, but still avoid the actual function of feeling and clearing. In other words, we, this, is, this, is, this is the ground zero of spiritual bypass. Okay, so here's an example, a question from listeners. Okay, so this one uh, listener was listening to past shows and she says, um, regarding empathy, sensitivity, and being all accepting. In one show, you briefly say that empathy, sensitivity, and being all accepting is not necessarily desirable emotional states, but signs of excess yin energy. What is the difference between uh, what we are perhaps taught or believe empathy and love and acceptance are and what you have discovered them to be by a shamanic worldview? So now what's, what's interesting about this is totally valid question. She's listening to a podcast, right? Just listening one time through. And it's come through her lens and, and what I said has already been changed. And, and this is where the confusion comes from talking about emotions and why the real-time conversation that happens in a face-to-face class is so important for cultivating emotional well-being that you can come, I mean, maybe there are other people as well, but in the class that I teach, you can come in two days face-to-face, we can sort through all of this. But in these sort of long-distance conversations, there's too much misunderstanding in how what's being said to try to describe emotions is being misunderstood in the context it's being heard through. And not that anybody's bad. That's just how hearing and communicating work. Okay, so let's answer her question. With the cultivation of emotional well-being in mind. On the show, she's referring to, I actually said being super sensitive or all accepting with anger hidden below. That's actually what I said. Um, I didn't actually say empathy. But the listener used these terms interchangeably because super sensitive and empathy have come to mean the same thing, which has been my point last week and this week. And, And this is why we don't understand this stuff. So... If we want to understand healthy emotions, we need to be clear. Empathy is not being super sensitive. Empathy is not being highly sensitive. Empathy is a healthy state um, as is being a highly sensitive person. Being super sensitive 
means reacting emotionally to life situations in a way that is excessive for the thing that has actually happened. It is an unhealthy state that points back to a deeper state in the person of false yin. So lots of yin, so lots of energy that that tends to express emotionally in people, but it's false, a false version of yin. So we've all been there, honestly, uh, when something in our life is is using up our emotional range. So we've all been in a state of false yin. Um, So let's say we've got a dying parent in the background or an impending move. These things are going on in the background of our life and they're basically kind of using up our emotional range. And so we don't really have the range that we need to deal with everyday life. And that that's one of the really honest ways we can end up in a temporary state of false yin. Um, what's a bigger problem is a chronic state of false yin. But anyway, so the other thing is um, living in a state of being super sensitive is an excessive state, as is being all accepting while anger sees below the surface. So if there's anger below, then you didn't really accept that thing. So you just decided to be all accepting without actually feeling the accepting, actually feeling acceptance, right? So in other words, if I was being honest about what I can accept, I would actually have to say, no, I can't accept this because there's this anger, present, right? But instead, I've made this choice that I will be all accepting and now I'm going to ignore the anger below that I've just overrun my own boundaries again, right? So these are actually unhealthy states. So here's another, and and again, honest confusion about what does it mean to be in a healthy, healthy emotional life, basically. So another question uh, relative to the same show is it's confusing that you say being sensitive and empathic are not things one discovered over time to be the reality of how we perceive. Of course, now we're back in that place where this isn't actually what I said. But because we're not discerning our words carefully, because this whole conversation about emotion is so messed up, this, this interpretation of what I said is common. And, and it's actually why I use this question, because I think it's a really common way of hearing what I said and feeding it back to me when it isn't actually what was said. And so, of course, the question then makes tons of sense, and it is confusing. Um, so she goes on to say, um, the feeling um, that has always been that something is wrong with healer types uh, was relieved she says, for her, the feeling that, that what has always been wrong, quote unquote, with healer types was relieved to discover that it was a gift to actually be sensitive and empathic and that I could help to understand, it could help me to understand my soul's purpose. She says, but listening to your show, it seems to be returned to the realm of wrong and described as not valid or authentic, but simply unhealthy yin. So again, there's this lens of judgment as well. Okay, so first off, naming something honestly as unhealthy or childish or whatever doesn't make it wrong unless you want to be healthy or you want to not be childish. That's your choice. But again, the need for us to be able to have a conversation that allows us to discern things without jumping to judgment. To say that something is childish is a discernment. Whether or not we want to be childish, then discern then defines what we do from that point. And nowhere in that did anybody have to decide whether being childish was good or bad. 
Okay. So if I want something to be healthy, then I need to deal with what is unhealthy. The only way I can deal with what is unhealthy in me is to name it, is to acknowledge it. That doesn't make it wrong. And I probably came by it honestly, but I do have to deal with it. So in our culture that is so steep with judgment and this lie of separation, we assume judgment in every statement. But shamanism and Wicca, for example, teach us that there's power in naming. It's really important to discern and name things. And shamanism and Taoism teach us about complementary dualism and understanding the nature of power. And that we need to talk about all sides of that to understand it. And none of that is judgment. So this is why I bothered with the context all of last week and some of this week is this question, as sincere and valid as this question is, is fraught with this misunderstanding. Because we culturally don't get what it feels like to be a healthy, well-adjusted emotional adult who is sensitive and empathic normally. So another issue here is that in the show in question, I was talking about yin and yang energies, which is always dangerous in America, uh, which, because we don't understand these very well. However, to understand healthy emotions, we sort of have to get a sense of true yin um, energy in humans. So one of the ways that true yin energy manifests in humans is as emotional well-being that comes from the ability for deep feeling while grounded and connected to other things. This comes from regularly engaging in solitude, during which one engages in becoming accountable to oneself and collects one's energy into personal integrity. This time restores and rejuvenates the heart and soul and allows one to engage in the world with mind and heart operating together. So how would we cultivate that? So I'm not going to say practice your Qigong, even though that's actually a good answer. But for many people, it's a very long answer. And it won't start answering your question for years, like for me. And for someone like our questioner, it's not a good answer at all. Because practicing Qigong isn't going to happen, given the structure of her life. So let's look at what we need to do to cultivate emotional well-being, given the qualities of true yin. So we need to have a goal to be able to be deeply feeling while grounded and connected. I don't mean you just deep feeling when you're all by yourself, but deep feeling when you are grounded in the world and connected to other things. That's emotional, a goal for emotional well-being. We need to value solitude as a time that we take to cultivate accountability. And what accountability means here is that I am willing to go back to those moments in myself when I couldn't show up for myself correctly and I overran my own boundaries. I didn't listen to my own truth. Um, I made a poor choice relative to what is right for me to go back to those moments because we carry them all. We either carry them in our body or in a more extreme state, they've gone into the shadow or into soul loss. And so the solitude and being accountable for the self means I'm willing to spend the time to reconnect and clear the unresolved issue with all these aspects of myself that are not soul lost or shadow self, that I can do that myself. And that's what it means to be accountable. And then I will ask for the help needed to deal with the shadow selves and the soul lost parts. That's emotional well-being. And then the other piece is doing, getting enough solitude in the day to collect one's energy into personal integrity. And then there's also a need for restoration 
and rejuvenation. Real restoration and rejuvenation. And so for, for deep feeling, we need our full emotional template to be available to us. And so we need to engage in a practice that allows us to do that. Deep feeling when grounded and connected, meaning I have to be able to do it when I'm connected with others. And so this, the solitude necessary, the restoration, the rejuvenation, all of these aspects come together in the actual energy clearing class. And this is – so when someone asks me, how do I do this, this practice taught in this class is my best answer. There may be other things out there, but I don't see them doing all of these things. And so, and these are the things that we need to cultivate in ourselves deeply to have an ongoing state of emotional well-being. So, this uh, another uh, listener asked me this question. So, given all of this source of true yin power, blah blah blah, and all that I want to cultivate here. What do I do? What are some solid suggestions to do hourly, daily, yearly, whatever, to cultivate um, this? You know, this would be really helpful, Christina. Okay, so number one, I'm stuck on a podcast here. Like all the classes that I teach are an answer to this question. What do we do? What practices do we need to learn? What skills do we need to develop? And so I'm somewhat handicapped trying to tell you. Because these are things we need to teach and to learn. But I will proceed fearlessly here. So to cultivate emotional well-being, we need a daily practice. Particularly in the beginning years of doing this. Where we visualize a healthy energy body. Within that though, we cultivate the ability to see what is, meaning what might not be healthy. As well as what it would be if it was healthy and to work to learn to close that gap how do I transform the what is which is not as healthy as I would like it to be to this vision of health and well-being that's a practice that you need to learn the morning practice in this daily energy visualization practice the morning practice would involve um, the cultivation of your center channel your grounding your boundaries looking at what's going on in your chakras. These are things that I've talked about each in their own shows. And that there's an evening practice of clearing, clearing your energy from the day and reviewing the day. And so then with that becomes this daily practice of actual energy clearing where I'm doing the accountability piece. I'm going back to the parts of my to- the times in my past when I could not do what I needed to do for myself, largely because I was a child, and to do it now for that part of myself so that she can let go of that emotional set pattern, free that up, and I can draw that energy back. So as you uh, do this, you uncover your need for soul retrievals. Go get them. You uncover your need for shadow transformations of shadow selves. Engage in that. You also uncover issues of ancestral healing ask for that help. And so these are the things we can't necessarily clear, but pursuing the need for those healings is important in cultivating emotional well-being. The practice also needs to have a restoration piece where you are restoring your truth, your sovereignty, your love for yourself at this level where there was this flaw in the accountability 
and we're restoring that, particularly with these little disenfranchised selves. And that ultimately then there's the rejuvenation, which is the clearing of the problematic dysfunctional part of the energy and the drawing back the essence energy that is you and restoring that in the present time person. I would say hourly something a person could do would be to ask, am I able to be in deep feelings when I'm connected and grounded to the world? Ask yourself that hourly and honestly answer. If you mostly get no's, then you need a practice to cultivate your emotional well-being. And I would say that annually what we need to do is to respect the winter, whether you're moving into it now uh, in the southern hemisphere or moving into it later, um, that respect the winter as it is the natural time for us to return to that, these deep energies into that solitude and really restore ourselves on a deep level. So that is my idea, my vision, my personal practice for what it takes for us to move into and cultivate emotional well-being. In other words, for most of it, for most of us, it means you need to learn a skill. You need to learn a practice that has the visualization piece and the clearing piece and the restoration piece. And then you have to have the courage to let go of the old patterns, which are survival-based patterns and letting go of them anyway, and risk creating new patterns and then and that you have a a focus and a goal on those new patterns that they resonate with this sense of being a person who has emotional intelligence a really sparkly healthy energy body and can really express your emotional well-being in the world and this is possible for all of us it's not that hard once we have the skills So I give thanks to my ancestors and their encouragement to stick with this and to do this show here today. I give thanks for the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone. Have an excellent week.